Welcome to this podcast from the Bay Church. We hope you're blessed by the message. To find out more, please visit our website at www.the-bay-church.org.uk. This is the worst part because I just want to go until Jesus comes back. Lovely man. I, I do a lot of two and three hour worship sets. There was one time we did a hundred hour event and no, excuse me, a 50-hour event over a weekend of nonstop worship. And I, was, I, I did 17 and a half with different people, and I was all like, yay. But he, actually does, but he actually doesn't care about that. God didn't somehow deem me more holy because I did 17 and a half, and everybody else did less. That's a, I, there was no scorecard. It was just that was the thing that was in my heart. It's part of my growth process. I didn't win any points with God because he doesn't think like that. But we do. We put everything on a rung of a ladder. This person is better than that person. I'm going to do the anointed thing again because I feel like it's for tonight, for this morning too. For those of you who were last night, you, this is going to be a bit of a repeat this in the next few minutes, so this might be a good loo time if you were here last night. <laughs> Best and most efficient use. I'm just trying to look out for you. It's called consideration. Most Americans aren't even trying. Throwing you a bone of, throwing you a bone of consideration. No, I'm just kidding. Um, there's this word anointed that we throw out. And, I, and you have to hear this next part. This is the most important part. I'm not saying it's bad to use the word. Go ahead, use it. Nothing wrong with it. There's a, it's, it's part of our culture. When I hang out with my American Baptists are different than y'all's Baptists. So what would be considered a more conservative, what, like Methodists? They're pretty conservative. Maybe if I'm hanging out with my Methodist friends, I wouldn't say the word prophetic or anointing because that's sort of a charismatic cultural thing. Though their theologians would love to talk with me about it. You know what I mean? It's the difference in the, in the language. But we use this word anointing a lot in place of the word for preference. And it makes us feel a little more spiritual. So like, I found that worship CD very anointed. <laughs> Which by definition means there's these other ones that are not. But if God's speaking on all frequencies at once, and we're only occasionally tuning into one, we're probably missing it. So when we say that this speaker was anointed, by definition, the other guy wasn't. Or it was some metric. Well, how was worship today? Oh, on the anointing scale, it was like eight and a half because it had a good beat and I could dance to it. No, the, God doesn't measure it in that way. Think about it. We talk about this. Oh, this was so anointed. Oh, but use the word. It's okay. I don't mind the word. I'm just trying to point out something important here in a moment that's related to it. Because as soon as we say this is anointed and this other thing is not anointed, we start creating this two-tier class of people in the body. The special cool ones whose ministry we kind of fund and consume and those of the rest of us that we don't actually say it, but subconsciously we're not as anointed as they are. And thus, it breeds a mindset that we sit back and wait for them to do their thing. When God has placed a ministry in every single one of us and different gifts and talents, if you go to the dictionary, no charismatics have informed the Webster's Dictionary people, or Oxford, you guys would say the Oxford English Dictionary people, about our definition of the word anointed. Nobody told them. So if you go there, there's two. There's Duncan the Oil, symbolically uh, saying this person is, is going to be elevated into a position, like David, right? And then the second definition I think is really key because it says, God's blessings on your gifts. That's what anointing is. 
and our culture's kind of made this thing. I, I, I've ministered with a lot of people who, I've heard millions of sermons. On, if you know who Benny Hinn is, I traveled with Benny Hinn for a long time. I'm not trying to name drop. But there's this thing in our culture of Benny Hinn is so anointed. And when he walks into his ministry, it's, it's, there's this anointing. And he preaches on the anointing all the time. I get it. I'm not against it. Fine, no problem. As long as it's not keeping us back from saying that we aren't anointed to. That we are to move forward. That God can use us and speak to us through us into the fullness of who we are, not just the famous people. That's the, that's the thing I'm concerned about. Because God is not worried about how many people are on your mailing list or how much money your ministry has brought in. He doesn't have the metric. He doesn't have the scale. Joel, Joel, Joel Osteen at Lakewood Church, biggest church in America, right? I don't think his mansion is going to be any bigger than Reverend Alan Dickinson's. But you know what I'm saying? Like, but yet we kind of think like because there's more money there and more fame and numbers or whatever it is, we put this ladder in place that God does not. Lord, give us the mind that you have. Lord, give us your mindset. And his mindset, I think, is more about growth and maturity than about the product. How was worship today? We can judge that. But we're not supposed to, only he can. So if you say, worship was great today, I thank you for your affirmation, and that's wonderful. And you had a great question about this last night, right? But really, only he can judge the worship, because he's the only one receiving it. And you might be watching my worship at the expense of yours. If someone's up there, they're not to impress you about how well they worship or how well they lead you. That's not the concern of yours. Your concern is, I'll take the seed that's offered, or not, because I brought my own seeds, and I'm going to worship regardless. So you can come up and say, your music resonated with me, or I, I felt you did a good job of, of, of helping me get my mind centered on him and getting into the presence, or I like those weird, weird jazz rhythms or that piano. Like You can like all of those things, but I just, like, I just get a little concerned when we say, I didn't like the worship at that church. Because I'm wondering if maybe we just missed the frequency that God was speaking in that place, and it didn't hit us. And so instead of, the, instead of um, saying we didn't like the worship, we're going to go to another church, let's just acknowledge that it's a preference. It's not an anointing or a spirituality level. that This church is less than because you don't like the worship. Because there's people there that are obviously worshiping, and I'm guessing that at least some of them like it. So it's just a preference. It's not a spiritual thing, in my opinion, in the way that we use it. Does that make sense? Have I pushed a couple of buttons? Yeah, I can see, I can see two buttons right there, but I'm not going to call you out. He's not looking at the product. How good was church today? This is above him. I'm personally of the belief that he's far more interested in my preparation for today than in what I did today. That my process is his key. And that's pursuing growth and maturity. Have you ever met someone who is so mature in the Lord that they know all of it? We probably know some people who, who, who know every verse in the Bible completely memorized, but they probably don't know every interpretation that's come along, every theology. They haven't received the fullness of every prophetic revelation that's ever been uttered, whether it was written down or not. They don't know everything about God's character. It's a never-ending dive into the depths that we'll, never, that we'll never get to the bottom of, right? Same is true for our growth and maturity. Same is true because our nature is his nature in the way that he made us.
Our potential is to walk in his nature. Right? So that means we'll never run out of growth options. We're always going to be able to mature into something else. Lord, on my deathbed, I want to learn something. You know what I mean? When my son was little, he took a wadded up piece of uh, paper and he, and he put some stick figures on it. Austin and, and he, he said, me and dad. And he gave it to me and I thought it was the best thing that had ever lived. There was no painter who had ever created anything so wonderful. Because my son, as a father, gave me this wonderful, cool thing. And that art really didn't resonate with other people very well. And I didn't quite understand that. Because I thought it was lovely. I thought it was inspired. I thought it, was, it showed great promise and potential in him. Right? But all of us have to be aware that whatever our gifts and talents are, is that we're at a place in our process. So if we have, let's say we're um, a, a painter, and we've just started painting, and our efforts are minimal at first, then we look at other people's paintings after they've been painting for years, and they have thousands of paintings under their belt. And here's their best work that resonated with people so much that it's being presented. And then you look at your first steps work and you find it lacking. Well, this is silly because you haven't done the thousand paintings that the other painter did yet. So now we've put our own self on the rung of the ladder and we put it down. And sometimes that makes us even give up altogether. So don't lose sight that the process is the most important thing, that your growth and maturity is what the father's interested in. Because if my son had grown up to be a graphic designer or a painter, I would always keep that little piece of wadded up paper. Because you guys know, right? But I kind of think he's going to have to improve his craft and grow and get better at it to really be pursuing it. In fact, I would very strongly influence him to do so. Because you got to grow out of this here at some point. I find that most charismatics, maybe Christians all, all the way across, but most charismatics are sort of sitting back waiting for something to happen. I think we, have, we receive prophetic words and we get impartation. And I don't, don't, I'm not saying we should get ahead of God or move in the flesh. But sometimes he says, do this, and we use prayer as an excuse. I'm going to go pray about it. And people are prophesying in the 80s over musicians that said the new song is going to come forth. And they've been doing it consistently since I was a teenager. And 99.9% .9 of those people have never written a song one. Or maybe they write one and they give up because it didn't have the Gabriel, angel Gabriel's fairy dust sprinkled on it. And so they walk away. But sometimes when he says the new song is coming forth, it means you're going to have to write 100 bad songs to get to the good one. In whatever field you're in. And when you're writing the things that are, quote, bad... When you're writing your infantile songs, when you're doing your craft in hospitality or you're expressing yourself through relationships or whatever it is that's your gift and talent, when you are in those early stages of just figuring out how to do it, that's also a wonderfully beautiful sacred act of worship in and of itself. It's only man that decides, well, that's not quite good enough yet. You've got to improve. Because God looks at our infantile song note just the same way he looks at hallelujah, one of the most amazing pieces that ever existed. Genius music. Hallelujah chorus, right? For him, they're both equally the wadded up piece of paper with the scribbles on it. Because his, 
everything that's in your, our, our endeavor, a field, field of endeavor, he's already thought of. He's infinite. I've never played a note where he was like, oh, I hadn't thought of that one yet. <laughs> nice chord there. I, you know, I'm never going to surprise him. We'll, we will never surprise him. Because he's looking at our process. So he's like, oh, I see you found that one yesterday. Cool. Keep going. Because he's watching our voyage of discovery of who we are in him. So it's about the process. It's about maturing and growing into the fullness of our expression to him. And every point in the process is an act of worship that he receives like the wadded up piece of paper because you're his child and because he sees you as the diamond. Yeah? Any questions? No, wait, I'm sorry. Not all at once. It gets confusing. Yes, sir. If that's right, then, we're going through a process, and you don't get on with church, but you still turn up here every week, so you're still going through the process. So I know God looks at me and thinks that's great, but you never get on with it. So what is the blessing to carry on doing it? That's a great question. I wish I had some chocolate bickies to give you. <laughs> like, what's the point? In a sense, it's what's the point? Why, why, why bother? If I can do it at home. Oh, now, are you asking about your growth process as a person, or why come and gather together with the believers? Both. Oh, because that's part of the process. That's a really nuanced question. I love it. Did everybody understand what he's saying? Yeah? I, have a, I, I got it. Sometimes with different accents, I have a harder time, but that, that one, I got it. Um, I would suggest to you a couple of things. The blessing of gathering together is on an artistic level. There's many blessings, of course. I'm sure you could preach four sermons about why it would be good to gather together for church, right? Not the least of which is the Bible says, forsake not the assemblage of the brethren. So it's sort of like a thing he's saying, you know, y'all should get together often. Not to, dis, not to discount the, the hermit or the monk that's living in almost solitude because that's a different frequency that he's listening to. So there's nothing wrong with that necessarily as long as he's growing by himself. But when you get together, the point, part of the point of getting together is for the, the rubbing of friction between the two of us that will produce even more resonant work and will cause us to grow. When you are worshiping by yourself, we kind of all should be. When you're reading the Bible by yourself, we kind of all should be. But I don't think you would have ever thought to do those songs that way by yourself. Because that's sort of our frequency that we throw out here and say, hey, what do you think? Join us. So now, from an artistic level, everything starts with a seed. And so part of the reason why we would gather together is to get more seeds for our own growth and maturity, to be inspired. Now, another part of the blessing is that collaboration can ensue, which can, again, yield something that neither party would have considered before, right? So today is partly a collaboration between whatever it is that I do and whatever it is that you guys do. And I don't think you, you do a version of this on Sunday morning, but you've probably never had a Sunday morning like this because this, this was its own expression, and you had these other seeds in the room that were providing different flavors and ideas and whatever, so it's a different expression. But everywhere we go, there's a couple of song musical things that we have kind of repeat a little bit, but it's mostly like we have this language in common and go, oh, yeah, how about that chord? 
for the most part, it's reinvented every single time, every single night. If you were here last night, I think we did a couple of the same songs, but it was a whole different thing. It was, it was not a script. It was just a conversation that maybe we had a, a directed topic, you know? And thus, every time we've gathered together on this trip, ministering, it's been a completely different expression. Different topics have come up and different things have been learned and grown. And that would not happen alone, right? So everybody also, everybody at every stage in life can use a mentor and a teacher. Someone to personally guide them. I'm not saying you have to have one. I'm just saying no one's too old to need one if you ever want one. Because at some point, what I love about the questions is in our current church circles, the, 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 the person of God would be up here deciding in a good way what the word is of the Lord for today and is going to speak it to you, kind of like what I'm doing now. But I don't even know if this is the word of the Lord for today that I'm speaking to you now. If that's the frequency you operate on, that's no problem. But I'm just sharing from my heart. Like This is what's going on, and God's going to use it. And sometimes I can tell he's saying, say this bit right here. Or he'll say, play that one chord. Okay, okay, got it. And then he'll sit back, almost like he was giving me a seed. Right? But in this context, um, I love the idea that if I'm speaking and there's a lot of questions, rather than you go home with only the thing I had in mind for you, you might also go home with the thing that you really want to know, like your question. Because I would have probably never covered that. And so then when you gather together, now there's an opportunity for you to get something you couldn't get on your own. Right? Beautiful question. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Um, so, for some people, it's obvious what their creativity is or their giftings. And um, what about the people who maybe think, I don't know what mine are, or things like that, and how do, we, how do they... How can they be encouraged to start to look for that and um, work on them? And also, how, how can we encourage that out of people? Yes. Okay, I'll do the second one first. How can we pull that out of people? Everybody hear her question okay in the back? You guys good? Yay, thank you for the hand. <laughs> how can we encourage people? You can change the world easily by just taking every person you come across and encouraging them in their creativity like I'm trying to do to you today. Because if, if uh, encouragement is great, just in general. Um, I have this heart that people aren't creative as much as they could be. So if we all did that, I think it would be huge. One of the dangers, though, is that early on in your artistic growth in the Lord, it's easy to feel like man's affirmation is what you need. And that it would fuel you. Right? And then if you don't get affirmation from man, you might shut down. Or be sad. Or feel less than. So one of the biggest keys is you have to know that you are already approved by God. And you will also, on another, tap, another side of it, you will never be found good enough. Because there is no such thing. You're already approved. He just wants you to go the next step. You don't need affirmation from people. He's already given you the affirmation you need. And that sounds nice, but tomorrow it might be a lot tougher to remember this when you're, you're, you're just starting out. But one, one metric of this is to continue to grow and grow, but recognize that whatever that you might do, if, it, if it's designed or could resonate with other people, there's a metric of 
your friends and family will never tell you, you know, this, this we, we had this dinner party, but the meal was horrible, right? Everybody's going to be polite. Or you just started taking guitar lessons, and then they're going to say, oh, he's really dodgy on the guitar, because everybody wants to be encouraging, right? So your friends and family will almost always tell you how wonderful you are most of the time. But I just finished my first book, and there's maybe just a few copies left back there because I'm, I'm basically out. Just finished my very first book. Never written a book before. Totally scary. Took me forever. Hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I can get up here without a moment's thought and play for hours, but I'm writing a book, ay ay ay. No muscles for it. But I wrote it, and when I finished it, the, the version that's there, I, gave, I sent it out to some friends and said, hey, look this over, what do you think? But I also said, please don't tell me how good it is because my mom will do, take care of that. You know what I mean? I need constructive criticism. I want to learn. I want to become, maybe, I, I hope you'll enjoy the book, but I'm, I'm really looking to my fifth or sixth book to really hit my stride because I never written one before. But I've probably spent 30,000 hours playing music, so that's easy. So this book thing is tough. I don't want to be told how good it is. I want to grow. I need constructive criticism. This wonderful lad gave me a fabulous constructive criticism on the van on the way home last night after service. I was like, oh, that was so good that I'm consciously going to change from here on out. You know, I'm much more interested in that than everybody telling me, oh, your speaking is lovely, or, or you're so good looking, or whatever affirmation you might give. <laughs> it, that, it's nice, thank you, thank you, it's appreciative, and there is a human part of me that of course would like someone like we all do. But I don't need that to be the thing that I rely upon, or it'll shut me down. But you should encourage everybody. Just look for a, just take on your father, mother hat and say, hey, try this. Create a space for someone to try something new. Create a you know what I mean? Just, there's way more to it, but that, be encouraged to be an encourager of creatives. Not, not creatives, the fine arts people. The creativity that's resident in each of us. Okay? Could change the world. And then the first question was, if you, if you don't know what your gifting is. Okay. So, I said this last night. We have a phrase in the South that says you're going to go around the vinegar jug. But you, you call it go around the houses. So follow me on my little connecting the dots here to get to her answer. So creativity, what's your creative gifting? In ancient times, in Roman times, Roman mythology and all of that, uh, I guess you'd call it Roman idolatry or whatever the word is, you know, Zeus and whatever they all are. You remember that Roman, their thought at that time in that culture was that man did not have ideas but that there was a spiritual entity that each person or maybe the special people would have that would feed them creativity, creative ideas. And this was, this, so the, the word genius is the same root word as the word genie because Aladdin's lamp with the genie was the genie that was sitting on your shoulder feeding you ideas, okay? So if you had a really good genie, you might be perceived as a genius in a poor way. Does that make sense? So back then that was that was the, the thought behind that original latin word but now genius has become to mean super smart albert einstein right genius oh my gosh it's this thing that causes us to be amazed and maybe put something on a pillar and now we're back to that two-tier anointing thing but there's nothing nothing wrong with honoring god in something it's when we get so impressed that we put we put it on a pedestal is the part that's tricky but the word genius originally didn't mean super smart. It just meant capable of original thought. And if in the beginning God created, if that's the most fundamental thing we know about him because that's the first thing that we say in the Bible, 
So he's a creative God. And then a few minutes later, he says, I'm going to make man in my image, which is the same root word as imagination. I'm going to make man in my imagination. I'm going to give man imagination because that's part of my nature in order to create and imagine. So now it's not some spirit that's, that's feeding me things. It's he gave me creativity and the Holy Spirit and I co-create. That's what we actually do, right? But if he's a creative God and he's put creativity in each of us, and genius means capable of original thought, that would equal to me that everyone is a genius at something in some way. Everybody has a uniquely U-shaped dent to make on the universe. Your own stamp. I, I, when I teach my, a, a piano student, they might steal a lick of mine, but I don't want them to ultimately play like me. Because if they steal something that I play, it's, it's the first part of copying. I mean, excuse me, it's, it's copying, which is the first part of creativity. But then at some point, they need to f copy four or five or a hundred more people's licks on the piano, and then it'll sound original because it'll have all these other sources to it. That's why, it's why most modern worship music all sounds the same because everybody's just listening to the same stuff. And then nobody's getting outside of that box and it's just kind of descending into the sameness musically. But this is, big, this is important for us as non-musicians, as, as non-artists, non-fine artists, that everybody grabs a hold of this. That creativity is partly you steal from others ideas but if you only steal from one source, you're considered um, a, a, a charlatan, right? Or you're not, you're, you're just a copy of that person. But if you steal from a hundred people, well, now you're original. And that sounds, it's totally humorous, but it's actually really, really true. Because the nature of creativity is that everything is a remix that we would make. In the beginning, God created. That's a different way of using the word creativity in the Hebrew. It meant creating something from nothing. We can't do that. We can't create something from nothing. But a, 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 a person who's gifted with hospitality can create a dinner party with all these elements that God made. He made the food. He made the flavorings. He made the elements that we made into metal that was the, the serving dishes. He made the creativity in the person who created the plates, the tablecloths. All of these, uh, that, that dinner party becomes this massively uh, a remixed creativity that that particular person creates one time for that night using all these different elements that God ultimately created, whether physically created or he put the, the, the spark of creativity in the person who had the idea to make the plate that way. You know what I mean? So it's all creativity on all levels. So, so if everybody's a genius at something, but most of the time all we see, let's look at this for a second, besides the fact that we put Jesus front and center, which I hope you noticed, um, despite, despite that, what we see a lot of times subconsciously is musicians and speakers. And that creates this two-tier system that I can't be used in ministry unless I have one of those gifts. And that's not legitimate either. Right? So how do we get there? If we know that we have them, we know that our identity is as an artist, then if we don't know what that gift and talent is, then I'll go one more step. Have you ever seen someone... Okay, I, I'm, I'm very secure in my musicianship. I'm very vulnerable in the writing, like I said earlier. But I'm real secure as a musician. So somebody came along and said, oh, you can't play. I wouldn't care. If I play wrong notes in front of you, I don't care. I don't have a fear of your opinion because I know who I am. It's not arrogance. I just know who I am. It's an identity thing. But I don't have the identity on the writing, right? But if lost the plot, hang on, coming back, lost the plot, hang on. 
coming back. Where was I? Oh, many of you may have seen me playing, and you've probably never seen Chick Corea or Oscar Robertson or Art Tatum. When, when, when I get to heaven, I'm pretty sure they're going to tell me that God wishes he played like Art Tatum. He's the, he's the most phenomenal piano player that ever lived. He's just um, was unbelievable. He died 100 years ago. Art Tatum, he's the god of piano as far as I'm concerned in a conceptual way. It's not a theology. Don't get mad and send me an email. He's wonderful. But I look at those guys and I go, oh my gosh, that's ridiculously cool what they're doing. And, and I want to inspire that to, I want that to inspire me to grow. But you might not really listen to those guys or see them. So you might look at this and, and see me play and go, oh, he's so talented. Right? I don't need your affirmation, but did everybody think some similar thing to that when you saw me do stuff? Hopefully you were tuning me out and worshiping. But I'm playing this stuff and you're like, oh, he's so talented. I would submit to you that might be a misuse of the word again. Okay? Because you're, what you're really saying is, oh, he, there's a skill there. Because a talent is a built-in affinity for a certain thing that you can grasp quicker than the next person. Because you might, because I'm on the stage and doing the whatever, you go, oh, talent, but it's not. It's skill at piano. But I do have a talent because in this statement, my talent is partly that I can grasp musical things quicker than my wife or quicker than other people. So I was able to progress quickly, more quicker than the, than the average person in music because that's how God wired me. But if the doorknob breaks, I don't have a clue. I, I, I have no affinity for this. I have no natural, natural thing. I have no talent for things mechanical. And Matt said, amen. Yeah, he's got the bell down here, right? So when the doorknob breaks, I'm mystified. I'm stuck. I, maybe there's a screwdriver involved. My wife, but my wife is very talented with things mechanical. I don't care how gender odd that sounds. It's just the way we are. So she gets her tools because I don't own any tools because I would probably hurt myself. And she gets the tools out. And, and before, before I'm even finished the sentence, she's already got the thing fixed because she has a natural aptitude. That's really what talent is. So let's separate this out. Talent is I have an aptitude for something. Skill is I've built up an ability to do something. But they're separate. Because some people are not very talented, but they're so passionate about something that they remain dedicated to the point where it resonates with you. So you really don't know if I'm talented. I could have just worked really hard past my lack of aptitude. Right? And I'll tell you, dedication beats talent every time. Dedication beats talent every time. So the first answer to your question as I've gone way around the houses is, what's in your heart? If you want to find what your gift and talent is, what's in your heart to do? Because the thing that's in your heart, you might not be very good at it by our standards, but God doesn't have that metric. So what's in your heart to do? What's been in my heart to do recently is to write a series of books. It's the hardest thing ever, but I'm working on it. But if you'd have told me 10 years ago I would be a writer, I'd have laughed in your face because it wasn't in my heart. And I wasn't very talented, and I'm still not talented at it. So the first answer is, what's in your heart to do? What attracts you? What delights you? What brings you life? And it sounds unspiritual to say that, by the way that I'm speaking it. Maybe I'm not using churchy language. I think that's about as spiritual as I could be right now. What's in your heart? What brings you life? Because when we talk about how God is good all the time, all the time God is good, and we talk about the goodness, the, the goodness of God, I would even so far as to say if God is good, God is goodness. So I think when you start seeing God in everything, the thing that delights you, there's a bit of God in it that's hitting you in, a happy, in your happy place. Right? So what's in your heart to do? 
And maybe you don't have to wait for the angel Gabriel to wake you up in the middle of the night and say, thus saith the Lord, here is what you're supposed to do and hit sprinkle of fairy dust on you. Maybe you don't need that because you've grown up in the Lord enough that you're going to hear him if he wants to weigh in and you're going to respond to his voice. But he, he might be saying to many of us, why don't you just do what is in your heart to do? I put it there, whether you think I did or not. So stop waiting. Grow already. Try something. Experiment. And then a big part of finding out what your gifts and talents are is to, in that heart of experimentation, is consider trying something that you've never done before. And you might find life in it, or you may not find life, but find some seeds that would transfer over to this other thing that, you were, that we really find to do. So try stuff. You know? Does that make sense? Yeah. And there's a few other ways of finding what your gifting and talents it is that I could go into, because that's a big topic for me. But what's in your heart? And try stuff would be a couple of quick answers, though I took 30 minutes. Yeah. How about one more question? Yes, ma'am. Because I need a drink. Can you tell us um, one of your encounters with God that um, as, you, as you began to see more of who he really is, um, how it changed you? Can you, can you describe one of, one of those times for us? I'll try to keep it short because um, my senses we might um, be coming in for a landing unless you guys are wait what time is it actually I can't see it yeah we might we, we'll start sailing towards the port is that you have a question oh there's like oh thank you got it there's a clock right there thank you Jesus I just all of a sudden there's this goodness of knowing the clock and the time that I perceive as God speaking to my heart and giving me, giving me peace about where we're at with the time. That was a little bit of a stretch. What was the question again? No, I got it. I got it. I was about to go all Ray Hughes on you guys. How many were here when Ray Hughes came? My life. That man is, I'm, I'm coming, I promise I'm coming back. I, I got to tell you, this mindset that we're talking about today I mean, I have language now, and I'm still constantly growing, but I kind of started 25 years ago with this, and, and, and loving jazz and world and conversational music and, and worship being the script, and, and like this whole tension my whole life has been here, and, and there, there's a depth to it where sometimes I literally just thought I was crazy. The stuff that he was telling me didn't have any grid to the people that I was around, and, and um, there was a moment when I found Ray Hughes' teachings, and it made me feel like I was sane. I mean, it changed everything because I thought, oh, wow, there's somebody. Yeah, it just, I love him so much. Um, so uh, as brief as I can, um, when I was 12 or 13 years old, uh, there was a couple of strongholds that were introduced into my life that I'm happy to talk about, but I'll just brush past. A couple of strongholds, you all know what that is. And they were sticking in me. Um, but when I was 15, after a couple of years of dealing with them, uh, I started, uh, I was playing in church band and, and the, I started attending an early morning work prayer meeting before work and, and school. I don't know if you guys have heard of that, like 5 a.m. prayer every day. And there's usually just the two intercessor ladies that really love God and a couple of, you know what I'm saying. But um, anyway, I was going every morning and there was this, that the theology in that group was, there was a separate, that, that you could get saved and filled with the spirit at the same time. But more common, it was a separate experience. And then if you're going to get filled with the Spirit, maybe it could happen spontaneously, but the Bible specifically says, hey, you could like lay hands on and pray for, and they would be filled. So we were doing that over me to be filled with the Spirit. 
and several, this was happened several times, and there was no fairy dust, there was no fireworks, there was no change, there was no language, there, not, there was no evidence that this was happening. And so after a few weeks, I was getting really, really discouraged and kind of upset. And I'm 15, just trying to figure out my faith. And it's like, well, the Bible says this, and it's not happening, so obviously the formula is dodgy, and so the whole, th you know. And so there's a Saturday afternoon after a week of praying, and I'm laying on my bed, and I've got the Bible on my chest, and I'm going through these scriptures, and I'm kind of mad, because this has been really frustrating. This is, I'm, all these gifts of being filled with the Holy Spirit are not, I'm, I'm not happening. And, and I yelled out something just to the air, and I wish I knew what that was, like, God, or some, some I was mad. And right after I yelled, I had a, uh, an experience, an encounter with him that was really, really, really massive. Um, I, I still have them. I had, I hand wrote notes, front and back, 22 sheets of paper, 22 and a half sheets of paper of what was taking place, what he was speaking, what was happening. The strongholds were delivered. The, the, the speaking in tongues was kicking off. Now there's this like backpack on my shoulder where I hear him all the time, but but there was prophetic revelation after revelation, like movies and movies worth of visions and downloads and stuff. And, I, and, and then at, point, at one point I thought, well, I should kind of write all this down and start my own church because I could be like John Smith or whoever the Mormon guy was. But it was just for me. It wasn't for everybody else, you know. That was a, that was a good joke. Y'all, come on now. Everybody's like, oh, he said Mormon. No. It wasn't like that. It was just a personal thing. It wasn't supposed to change. Yeah. So... I just got so much stuff, and most of it I didn't understand. Um, sing, but then as my life has unfolded, I've been sort of unpacking that. I call it my 15-year-old dream, but dream's sort of a, it's not a good word, but it's the best I can come up with on a short notice. So this 15-year-old dream, I've seen like my kids walking into things, or my, how I met my wife, and all these things that, that he showed me ahead of time. And I, there's still, much of it I'm still unpacking, actually. Here I'm 45 years old now, so 30 years. Um, so, I mean, there was, there was a moment when um, uh, I was in my early 20s, and I went to a teaching, a, a man was speaking on, on the word, and he started talking about the tabernacle of Moses. And I didn't know anything about the tabernacle of Moses, but he's out of court, inner court, holy holies, all the symbolism, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this, th my dream, I had the, the symbols, and, the, and it meant this and this other, and so I got this, I, I didn't have the language until that point, but I realized this artistic maturity that I'm talking about, the tabernacle of Moses can represent, represent a fullness of the artist within each of us, which I kind of skim a little bit in the book. And then they're talking about the tabernacle of David and Amos 9-11 and it being restored in this last day. And I was like, I didn't even know what the tabernacle of David was, but oh my gosh. By the way, in my dream, I had already seen Raiders of the Lost Ark before I was 15, so I knew what the Ark of the Covenant was. But I... <laughs> But the tab of Moses and tab of David, I didn't know anything about until later. And so he, then now, now I can, and if you're curious, if you, if you search me on YouTube, there, I did a teaching at a house of prayer for about an hour that, that pulls out the vision from there and the revelation about the tabernacle of David as a canvas for as, as God starts bringing artistry and artistic identity back to the body, this season of on the planet as the restoration of the tabernacle of David is happening, that it's a canvas upon which we can grow and mature and make mistakes and fix and, and move into the fullness of art. So the tab of Moses becomes the, the ideal artist that, to, to, that, that is capable in each of us, and the tab of David becomes the canvas upon which we can create in this hour. But, and that's just one stream of all this other stuff, and some of it I still don't understand, and I'm kind of scared to show people. I kind of like want to let it just unfold at this point. Um, 
So, yeah, that's a great question. I could, I could talk for days about it because there's so much there. Yeah, he, t- he, he does it with everybody differently because some people have never had that kind of thing. And then they're going, and then, and you might be thinking, wow, God's never, never done that to me. He's never spoken to me like that. He's never showed up in my bedroom like that. That doesn't make you any less than. It's not that I'm more somehow special or more spiritual because he showed up when I was 50 and I just, he has a path for me and he needed to do that to convince me of some things. And I, those are seeds that I had to, to bring out to the fruit of my life. But you have a different path, right? I'm not more spiritual than you. Not at all. But that's just what he did with me. You know? So consider that maybe we gave a lot of praise earlier and we were jamming and dancing and having fun. And some, you could say that the outer court of the tab of Moses represents a place of praise. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. That could also represent the flesh. And we do clapping of our hands, which is flesh striking flesh, so that we can get some of the junk off as we're going further in. Maybe, maybe then the next stage in that tabernacle of Moses is this inner court that could also represent our mind and our soul. So maybe I've been feeding you some seeds this morning at this stage of artistic identity and maturity that is available and is a path for every believer. So let's go after it. And maybe then we could go into the Holy of Holies and respond to the praise that broke the ground and the seeds that's been planted in our minds and let it be watered with our worship.